Welcome to the Coog Center Podcast, and here's your host. You just don't want to talk, really. I'm just about that action, boss. You about to go get it. You, you, you just like to do it. That's what it is. I ain't never seen no talking with me, nothing. Michael Preston. The irony, of course, now being of that uh, particular audio clip is that talking is winning Marshawn Lynch an awful lot of things because he is... He's got endorsement deals. He's been all over. The, like he's got Subway ads and whatnot. He was on an episode of Bar Rescue. He did that uh, the Peyton and Eli broadcast of Monday Night Football last week, and and caused Peyton Manning to have to apologize for him cussing like five or six times on air, which is part of the reason I love Marshawn Lynch so much because he just does not care. He's going to do it, and he's like. If I weren't so confident he were a real person, I would think he's a caricature, but it's incredible. And he's doing, like, he does ads at the Kraken games and all that other stuff. Um, it's, a wow. Yeah, talking's winning him a lot. It's winning him a lot of money right now. Again, we're not on topic in the intro, but that's fine. Welcome back to the Kook Center Hour. I am your host, Michael Preston. Brent Denny from Speak of the Devils podcast is going to join us later to talk about the upcoming opponent, the Arizona State Sun Devils. Don't know why I said it that way. We're also going to talk about that pretty big gift to the Cougar Athletic Fund uh, last week that gets the indoor practice facility uh, over the hump. Going to talk about how important that is to Wazoo. Um, and, of course, there's a little symbolism behind when that happened. We'll get to that, though, in a little bit. And with our Dunderhead of the Week and Ask Michael Anything. I think under the circumstances, that's not an awful result. Does that make sense? I mean, you you look at a football team that's had more upheaval game week than just about any that you can think of. I mean, Texas Tech fired Matt Wells, um, but, you know, this, this is something entirely different. Um... And BYU is definitely your hardest non-conference opponent. They're also probably one of the better teams you're going to play uh, all year. I don't know what that said. Probably says more about the Pac-12 than it does about BYU. Um, but all that being said, um, you know, it's it's so hard to look at this football game and take a ton away from it because. It was a week that was so incredibly weird. It was such a long week. It was such a tough week. It was just kind of everything. It was a me- it was a mess. And so you're kind of left with I'm having a hard way of phrasing this, but it's like what what can you really glean from this? And I think it's that you still glean that these kids are very resilient. Kids generally are more resilient than we give them credit for. Um, And I'm saying that as a guy who knew kids before he was a parent and a guy who knows kids now as a parent. They are tough, resilient, little human beings. More resilient than a lot of adults I know. Um, and one of the benefits of being in that 18 to 22 year old age bracket is you can flush stuff and forget about it pretty easily. Um, I doubt they're going to forget this anytime soon, but I think at least what this game provided was a bit of a distraction. 
And given that you had offensive staff upheaval, upheaval, you had coaches being hired late in the week. 21-19 is about, I mean, against a 5-2 and two team, that's about as good as you're going to expect uh, coming out of there. And again, you know, you lose Craig Stutzman to obviously the mandate. He did not get his vaccination at his, at his exemption. Request denied. Um, so Brian Smith's back calling plays on the offense. And, you know, I think we all kind of figured out very quickly why Craig Stutzman had gone to calling plays um, on offense. But you're still not working, you know, with that full week of prep you'd want to be working with to go into this one. Um, you know, I still think you take a lot of good from it. Uh, Jaden Delora had another pretty decent game through a pick. No touchdowns, but Max Borgie punched in three on the ground. Um the defensive tackling wasn't great. Um, they still looked okay, though. Again, you know, your defensive coordinator is now your head coach. Uh, BYU actually averaged fewer yards per play than Washington State did in that game. Um, so I, I, I think you, you take a positive there. Max Borgie looked a little bit more like himself. I think he still looked hesitant at times between the tackles and times where if he just hits the whole run-in, um, he picks up extra yardage or he picks up a first down or whatever. Um, so there are reasons to still say, okay, the team looked okay. You know, again, BYU recorded and sack and two tackles for a loss. Washington State had two sacks and three tackles for a loss. Um, they responded with touchdowns. After all but one BYU touchdown, so they came back out and responded well every time BYU scored, except for that final time. But even even then again, they scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter and had a chance to at least tie the game. Okay, So I, I think you feel good about a lot of that because I think it's very evident that this team still believes in one another and they are still very close with one another and they think bowl eligibility is achievable they think that they can go out and win a couple more games i do not think this is you know these next two are obviously i think the least winnable on the schedule we probably thought that coming into this season that these two games coming up you, you kind of circled as probably not these two maybe sc at home maybe but other than that, it was going to Tempe, having a week off, and then going to Eugene that you kind of just looked at and said, okay, we got to find a win somewhere else. Well, now your backs are up against it, right? You got four games to go. One of them is against a very bad Arizona team. So I, I think you feel pretty good about winning that football game. And the other one's, of course, the Apple Cup, which just – anyway. Um. This is a team that still believes in one another, and they, they've said all the right things publicly this week, or, you know, leading up to the game and after the game, that this is bigger than one person, and everything that goes along with that. Um, so, again, how much do you take from a game like that? I really don't know. I don't think much, but again, I think you feel good that it's still a group of athletes, student-athletes, that went out there, there I am... <laughs> Why do I say student-athletes? I think it's such a lame term, especially with NIL now. And they really focus more on athletics most of the time. So a group of players who... I'm not editing that out still. A group of players... I am just on fire tonight. A group of players 
that still has a belief in one another, it still has a belief in what this team can do. And after what they've been through, and frankly, after watching everything happen with their coach publicly after his dismissal, it's always hard to not be distracted by that stuff. It's always really hard. And we said this last week is that none of the players don't deserve any of this. This is going to be hardest on them because for them, it's all going to be about a football decision, right? It should be about a football decision. And they were winning, so why 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 can't it be about a football decision when this is it was something completely removed from that? And so they're going to have a hard time, but they seem to be rallying around one another. And even if it's just to to you know say shove it up the rear ends of the people who got their coach fired, then let it be that. That's fine. Whatever you need to do to rally the troops, so to speak, that is fine. And I think they are capable of doing that. Now, they're going to go play an Arizona State team that is very balanced offensively and defensively. They're in the top 30 in SP+. They have one of the two best quarterbacks in the conference in Jaden Daniels. I don't think there's much arguing um, that. He's better than anybody in the Pac-12 North maybe outside of Jaden Delore, but even then I think Daniels has some speed and passing ability on him. And outside, you know, in the South, maybe DTR, maybe Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I'm not sure, though. So you face a guy who can get you with his arm and his legs and a pretty stout defensive line and defense that um, is, is very, very good. So, and you're going to a place where I looked this up a number of years ago, or maybe it was more recently than that, but like, Washington State's won like five times in Tempe since Arizona State joined the conference, and Washington's only won like five or six as well. So, like, something is wrong with these teams when they go to Tempe. At least the alums, the traveling alums, will get some nice weather compared to the storms we've been getting up in Washington this week. But there's just something about going to Tempe, and it's a noon game, so it's going to be hot. It's going to be real hot down there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this team responds this week. I think what helps is obviously now you've got a full week of install with your new coaching staff. Everybody's there for a full week. There's still going to be some getting to know you phase, right? There's still a lot of that. But they're there for a full week. There is not the upheaval of the early week dismissal of your head coach. There is not other issues like that. Now Jake Dickert and his staff can really focus on putting together a game plan. And much as you say you were doing that last week, I like look, you get that there are going to be distractions. There are going to be issues with doing that. I don't think you can expect there to not be. But I think what you can expect there to be this week is that there will be more focus. There will be more kind of emphasis on a game plan because you now have had a Sunday to watch film, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to install things and to have it ready for your run-through on Friday. So you have that time necessary to game plan, and again, for probably the best team, um, one of the two best teams remaining on your schedule, if not the best team remaining on your schedule, and you got to go visit them. This is also the only time they've played an away game since they were at Cal uh, earlier this month. They've been home for three straight weeks. So there's that added element of having to hit the road for the first time in a while. So I'm interested to see how things go again you know, ASU's very good. 
Uh, before the season, I don't, I didn't think Washington State had a great chance in this football game. So we're going to see how they can do. We're going to talk to Brad Denny, speak of the Devils, coming up next. He has got so much great insight, and it's our favorite thing to have them back on the schedule. Brad and I were talking about this before we started recording. I think. He's like my OG podcast guest because he used to write for House of Sparky. That was the SB Nation blog uh, that was Cook Center's sister site. Um, but he's like an OG guest on this podcast. So it, like, there's very few people I can like reach out to and know I'm going to hear back from instantly to hop on the show. And and he's one of them. Like he, he always gets back to me really quick, like super fast. And, and, and I really, trust me, when you're trying to schedule podcast guests, that's something you really want. So Brad Denny up next here on the Cook Center Hour. Back here on the Coug Center Hour, we are now joined again, and, and Brad Denny, it has been too long, and I think, like, I, I did the math this morning, you're like the longest running Coug Center Hour podcast guest, because I'm pretty sure that this goes back almost, it, it, I've done almost 10 years of this, I'm pretty sure it goes back almost that far, uh, that you were you were with House of Sparky for a while, but now you're doing the Speak of the Devils podcast uh, on your own, and it's immensely popular. So thank you for being on the show again. And I hate when we rotate off of ASU because that means we don't get the chat once a year. Yeah, whenever the Cougs are on the schedule and those, those years in the rotation, those are always, always some of my favorite. And yeah, um, it's always great to talk to you, whether it's on Cougs Center or Speak of the Devils. It's, it's always good to talk uh, from ASU, Washington State football. It's been much too long. I know. I well, and I think our alums feel the same way because I know a lot of them are very excited to go down, despite the I think it's like sixteen point underdogs, but it's warm in Tempe, and I'm currently watching trees blow over up here. Um, five and two coming off uh, a loss to Utah, which was a little rough. Twenty eight straight for the Utes um, in that game, and they emerged victorious, thirty five twenty one. But ASU still on top of the South right now. Um, how are fans feeling at five and two? Uh, at uh, you know over halfway done with the season so far. To their credit, Arizona State fans are staying very much on brand and are very unhappy and want everybody fired. <laughs> um, they've had the, the bye week, just um, was, I think from a football perspective, probably at the right time. But I think from a fan perspective, they are not happy. gave them an extra week to kind of stew in the, especially with the manner that ASU lost the Utah game. Uh, it was kind of really reminiscent of, of their loss um, earlier in the season uh, at BYU. Uh, the team went on the road, playing a good, solid team. But I think in both cases, ASU showed that they were just the more talented team, but that by far the uh, you know the, had no discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, ton of penalties at the BYU really cost them. Really dumb turnovers, uh, and that's kind of the same situation that really kind of undid the Sun Devils in the second half against Utah. And that was a game that you know would, if ASU would have been able to win that, they would have been really the driver's seat in the South, up twenty-one to seven at the half. The run game for the Sun Devils was was clicking on all cylinders and. In the prior three games, the Sun Devils' second-half defense had been really good. A lot of really good adjustments made by Antonio Pierce um, coming out of the half. Mm-hmm. The exact opposite happened. Utah came out, ran the ball effectively. ASU's adjustments were in some cases non-existent, or they just really were ineffective. Uh, and the offense was, was, kind of went away from what had, they had success in the first half. And just, you know, also with a combined amount of – I just said a main number of penalties. Yeah. Um, that just kind of that, that that all together, the twenty-eight tweet unanswered. I, I don't know if Cal Whittingham tweets too much, but his twenty-eight unanswered tweet after the game really just kind of stuck in the craw of Sun Devil fans. <laughs> you know, ASU Utah has been something that's really developed into a rivalry over the last several years. There's a lot of intensity, um, and so just the, the ASU to lose any game to Utah is bad. When you have the, the stakes that are tied with it in the South Division race, 
and then also the manner in which they lost. Yeah, but the real sour taste in front of a fan's mouth for the last two weeks. I know, um, you know, like you said, it has not been a good couple of weeks or you know a week or so here leading up to uh, this game against Wazoo. I know ASU is also obviously dealing with. Um, kind of the looming uh, NCAA investigation, whatever that may mean going forward. How much is it really affecting the team? Because I think really at this point, it's just mostly been about interviewing former players or current players. So there's not really been much movement on it. Is that tempering any fan excitement? Have you seen it affect the team at all? Or is it just kind of this bugaboo thing that's just kind of there, but it's the NCAA, so we don't really know what the heck's going to go on anyway? First and foremost, the impact's being felt in recruiting. ASU yeah. in the spring... We got off to a real hot start in recruiting. They landed, uh, I think, four four stars in that class. Was was really in 2022 was a, a class that ASU for the last couple of years really looked at as like this is where we're going to make our mark with um, in recruiting. Land one of the best the country's best classes. Then all of a sudden that class, the uh, news of the investigation comes out. Every the, the momentum screeches to a halt. All those all but one of those four stars has decommitted. ASU currently has five commits, which is lowest in the Pac-12. Uh, I think by, by a fair amount, they have one. They're outside the top 100 uh, in the rivals' class recruiting rankings. So that's been the the major impact so far. However, another area which I don't think is getting enough run is as a result of those investigations, ASU put three of their their young assistant coaches on paid administrative leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, wide receivers coach Prentice Gill, defensive backs coach Chris Hawkins, tight ends coach Adam Brenneman, uh, who not coincidentally uh, were a, three of ASU's best recruiters. Uh, so they get their names were tied up in, into the, the scandal. So ASU, just weeks before camp, really had to replace all three of those. They had some in-house options that are, are, were pretty effective. Donnie Henderson taking over at DBs. He's been Herms. Uh, he was Herms DC at, with the Jets. He's been coaching the NFL basically for the last 30 years. So he's taken over well. But the tight ends and uh, wide receivers are both really relatively young groups that a lot of questions were were uh, running those groups coming into the season. How, you know, if they're going to be able to take the next step up. Um, and then they've had um, excuse me, interim coaches uh, over the you know since the uh, uh, since the summer, and we've seen some imbalanced play uh, from those groups. And you know whether that's due to the change in coaches, we don't know, or if it's just kind of you know the collective youth and experience of those groups. Um, but that you know those, those are groups that were really kind of under the spotlight a little bit. And I think so far both of them should be playing a little, little bit better collectively than they have. Again, whether that's tied to the coaching change and on the field, and, and perhaps you know the Looming factor of this investigation has led to some of the discipline issues in terms of the, the penalties, or some just some of the mental errors that we really haven't seen out of the Herm Edwards teams over the last couple of years. Kind of unanswerable questions, but one of those things that you know, just when you have that spectrum hanging over, you just can't discount that possibility. Yeah. I want to talk about uh, a guy who on that team I've admired a lot over the past couple of years, and I'm pretty sure has like a an NIL deal with like a Mustang, like a Ford dealership, because he has a Mustang now, Jaden Daniels. Is it a Mustang or a Corvette? I don't know which it is. I'm just, I'm insanely jealous no matter what. Um, but uh, the, the superlatives on this kid, I, I frankly don't do enough. And we saw what he did to Washington State. Um, I believe it was in 20, yeah, it was in 2019 when they visited Tempe. Um, just took Arizona State down the field so many times. Great, great thrower of the football. What has improved about him since the last time Washington State saw him on the football field? Well, to answer your question first, it's a Mustang. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, there you go. See, that's riding pretty. No, Brad. Um, yeah, no, Brad. You're hitting. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the reporting I need on this podcast, man. I need to know what what really nice car that kid got for free above board, unlike all the other free cars kids have gotten in the past. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so he, he's riding in that Mustang. He's got, also got a signature pizza deal with a, with a local chain down here. So he's, he's doing pretty well. Um, and, yeah, and so, yeah, Jaden had all the promise in 2019, really kind of flashed his, his potential, beat Oregon in, in prime time, knocked the Ducks out of the race. Uh, last year was, was obviously very difficult uh, with just the COVID stuff, but also they were installing a new offense with new OC, Zach Hill. So that offense never really got a chance to get going. And also the run game was so effective uh, last year that the passing game never really had to be uh, a focal point. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, kind of going back to the previous point of just the tight ends and wide receivers, you know, the big question coming into, into this year for the front of, I think on, on either side of the ball, was can this passing game take the next step? It's year three of Jaden. They've got a, a lot of talent at wide receiver, but it's all rel- relatively inexperienced. Uh, the first part of this season, I, I was a little concerned because we saw Jaden and his receivers really not being on the same page. Uh, in a couple games, Jaden was kind of like one look, one read and run, uh, kind of shades of, of Manny Wilkins of years past. And it, it was not what you wanted to see out of a, a guy who was coming into his second season, had a full off season to kind of digest the Zach Hill offense, mm-hmm. more time to work with those receivers. Uh, you know, Against UNLV, it worked out. I mean, if you could get away with that kind of stuff, he ran for a career high, 125 yards. But when the you know, conference play was looming, we had a lot of questions about whether he was going to be able to take those steps forward. I think the last several weeks, he's done a lot better. He looked more comfortable in the pocket. Uh, he's using his legs to, to move, but not just to run, but also to buy time in the pocket. Um, he's shown a better touchdown field. Uh, some of the same questions are still following him around a little bit. Just Sometimes there are some accuracy issues on, on balls that a quarterback, you know, he has a lot of time, but the guy of his caliber should be making. Um, but uh, against the youth, there was a, he was not helped at all. Um, the wide receivers and tight ends had a number of key drops, which is a little bit uncharacteristic from what we've seen, mm-hmm. but still just didn't do him a whole lot of favors. But I think altogether, the last four games of Jaden have been really, I think, promising steps forward, whereas the first couple games of the season were kind of maybe still lingering about, okay, is this guy ever going to make good on, on this potential? Is he just perhaps, you know, a game manager plus? Uh, but the last four, you know, especially against uh, UCLA, uh, he really showed a, a good command of the offense good rapport with his receivers, attacking on all three levels of the field, taking some shots deep. Um, it just, you know, the, the question remains, you know, whether they can have that consistency in the passing game. Because the, the run game, is, I think, is going to be strong no matter what. The offensive line has looked really good other than the second half uh, against Utah. So it's just the big question is, can this passing game be good enough to keep defenses honest so they don't stack the box against the run? And with the front level defense playing at the level that it's generally been playing well all year, passing game remains a big question mark, but I think I will say that there have been some promising signs and whether they can get over the, 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 the mental hump of uh, the, the, the struggles of the uh, second half against Utah, that remains to be seen, but I think it does work in the favor that the next two are at home. Yeah, and I think having the week off, too, probably helps put it in the pass a little bit. You talked a little bit about how dominating uh, the defense is up front, and I think, Brad, the one thing that really stood out to me just looking at the stat sheet was 50 tackles for a loss, 24 sacks through seven games, which is just a mind-numbing number. Now, I know that you know every team in the Pac-12 plays some not-so-good teams at the beginning of the year, but that's still a stupidly high number uh, for a defense through seven games to be averaging more than seven tackles for a loss uh, per game. So seven times they are stopping the play in the backfield, be it a sack or stopping the rush or whatever. What makes Arizona State so good up front? Because I know the offensive line has kind of been a, a worrying thing for Washington State all year. It's gotten better, progressed a little bit as the year has gone on. But what makes them so good up front? It's really been their depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think actually 
an argument could be made that ASU's MVP so far this season has been defensive line coach Robert Rodriguez. Uh, he came over last year from the Vikings, uh, and really, hitting uh, it last year, the D-line was a big question mark, and they really played uh, exceedingly well. And you know, during fall camp this year, their best player, uh, defensive tackle Jermaine Role, uh, injured his triceps, and he's been out all year. And so that just kind of increased the worry. But we've seen that defensive line uh, just be incredibly strong no matter who's in there. And they've had to, at times, rotate in a, uh, a lot of young guys, guys that perhaps not anticipate seeing a, a you know critical role or having a lot of uh, meaningful reps. Guys like a walk-on B.J. Green has three sacks. Anthony Cooper has, has played really well at defensive end uh, when starter Tyler Johnson has been out. Uh, Johnson's a guy that, that when his head is in the game, he's one of the elite edge defenders in the conference. He needs to call him believe conference defensive player of the week award a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. when he's dialed in he's he's uh he he can be a, a real difference maker but he's also battling injuries and but so cooper's been a guy that's been in there another true freshman garen stansbury's been a key part of the rotation one of the unsung heroes of the entire uh, team offense or defense is the defensive tackle dj davidson he's uh, a monster huge guy that's been really effective in the run can really collapse the pocket uh you know while lole when he was in the lineup was getting a lot of the accolades Davidson, I think, is one of the key guys that really kind of makes that, that defensive uh, line unit really go. And they've been really effective. And so Antonio Pierce, the D.C., has not had to do a whole lot of blitzes to generate those pressures to get those mm-hmm. sack numbers and tackle for loss numbers. And that's really been helpful uh, for the front of the defense because they are largely a pretty veteran unit. And so they've been so effective with just, you know, those that front four, you know, no matter who's in there at, in those key spots. And it's, I think it's really helped allow this defense to – you know, have some, some stretches of, of some pretty dominant play. One more before we get to a prediction on this game. Um, Bill Connolly's SP Plus has Arizona State's offense at 28th best in the country and the defense at 31st. It's it's really hard to find a team with that level of balance kind of anywhere advanced stats-wise. Is that by design with this team? Or like you kind of described to me, you know, the passing game needs a little work. The defensive backfield for issue could also use a little bit of work. Is that kind of by design, you think? Or is that just a, hey, this is a really happy accident that both of these units happen to be just about as good as the other one? Yeah, I think it's how they, they Herman in the coaches kind of wanted to build this team when they took over the, you know, they've been talking about the pro model and just kind of building the, the program in an NFL way. They've reshaped um, recruiting and again, kind of gets uphill into whether it's been legal or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just, I mean, this, this is a team that is much bigger, stronger, just, just passes the eye test a whole lot better uh, than they had under Todd Graham. And, you know, that's the, one of the major issues for a long time in this program, even before Graham, was ASU was never really effective on the line. We just talked about the defensive line, the strides they made there. ASU's offensive line has been really strong this year. Uh, it was really, and ASU on both sides of the ball has been uh, a beneficiary of the super senior rule. I mean, they were able to get a number of guys, starters back on defense, mm-hmm. uh, two starting offensive linemen as well to help bolster those lines. Uh, and so it's a team that has really kind of been built in that defense and run game image that kind of an old school mind like Herm Edwards is it's talked about a lot. I mean, you have two really effective running backs in Chip Trainum or Rashad White. That's the strength of this offense. And behind that veteran offensive line, that's really been able, uh, why they've been able to be as consistent as they have been in terms of at least scoring points, even though the passing game is still trying to go through some growing pains and trying to find mm-hmm. a nice level of consistency. And on the defense, those, those veterans, especially in the, in the defensive backfield, I mean, they had three starters uh, come back. I mean, they have an unprecedented uh, fifth-year starter 
uh, in the six-year guy in Chase Lucas. And he's a heart and soul at defense. He was banged up and missed the Utah game, so I wonder if perhaps the difference he could have made. Because um, when he's in that lineup, it's a defense that really takes on his personality kind of with an added edge to it. Uh, but I think, yeah, just it's been kind of in Herm's image of just a, a team that is, likes to be built on the, on the ground, win up front on defense, uh, and not give up a whole lot of big plays and not make too many crippling mistakes, uh, you know, up until this year with the penalties. But it's not a team that's going to, you know, turn the ball over a ton. Uh, it's going to be opportunistic on defense and just kind of, you know, fits that, that kind of, uh, you know, mid 90s uh, NFL style of mindset that Herm brought here. About a two-touchdown favorite, I believe, uh, opening things up. ASU also had the week off, uh, as you mentioned. Washington State lost to BYU, so there's something the teams at least have in common uh, heading into this one. Um, I, you know, I know what I think, Brad, and I see a very experienced and very much more well-oiled machine over on the other sideline opposite Washington State. How does this one turn out? On and It's an afternoon game. We love this. We've been very blessed with 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 game times this year, and I think this is ASU's first early game at home. So you get to not be there until three a.m. in the morning. Yeah, actually, it's been the, the first um, afternoon game um, home or away. Yeah, every single game this year has been like a seven or, or later kickoff. So yeah, I, I am very personally happy that it, this is not going to be a three a.m. <laughs> departure from the press box. Well, you're welcome. We brought um, we brought it down with us, so you're welcome. Yeah, uh, so that that's been great. It, it will be interesting. I mean, the weather is supposed to be in, in the low 80s, so and clear, so it's going to be a great afternoon for football. Um, I think what I'm going to be really curious about this Thunderbolt team is just how they come out because this is a team that, despite the, the veteran uh, presence on both sides of the ball, I have some questions about how they're going to react. This is a mm-hmm. team that sometimes has not really bounced back from adversity too well. Um, so I, I want to see how they come out, if there's any kind of hangover effect from um, just a, a, such a disappointing gut punch type of loss against Utah. Uh, but this also is a team that is very different from home uh, versus uh, away. So I think ASU, if this game was, was up in Pullman, I think ASU might be on some perilous ground. But I think, you know, with the two-touchdown spread might be a little ambitious. But I think that this is an ASU team that realizes that they have zero margin for error um, for the, from here on out. They got a big boost with Oregon State topping Utah, so that kind of levels things up in the loss column. Mm-hmm. So they, they see an opening, um, uh, the next two at home, uh, then, then winnable games on the road before they, the season opener, or season finale, rather, against Arizona. They, the path is there. And one of the things that they've been talking about all season long, why a lot of these veterans came back for that, take advantage of that extra year, as they are bought in on getting to the Rose Bowl, something that this program has not seen since '96. Uh, so, they, I think that the, it's going to be interesting to see if they come out, refocus, and re-energize, know what they have to do, or if that hangover effect is going to linger. Um, ultimately, though, I, I think that you know, just ASU right now is more talented on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. I think the run game is going to be kind of lead the way. Um, you know, I, I really like what Jaden Delora has, has brought, and um, you know, it will, be, it will be interesting to see how the you know the Cougs continue in, in week two now with. Some of the, the, these interim coaches in place, and, and um, ultimately, though, I, I do think that he's, he's probably going to be able to, to pull away probably a, a two-score win. You know the rule, Brad. No team from the state I'm in can win in that stadium. That's just the rule. No one, nobody, nobody gets to it. I think I looked it up at one point. It was like we, like Washington and Washington State, were like nine and fifty in Tempe. Like for no, like I have no idea what's in the water down there that prevents us from winning. But, uh, but it'll be hopefully uh, everybody enjoys a nice sunburn. 
uh, on Saturday. Brad Denny from the Speak of the Devils podcast. Thank you, sir. Your knowledge is always so helpful, and uh, it was wonderful having you. Always great to talk ball. Thanks for having me. Big thanks to Mr. Brad Denny again for his expertise on the Sun Devils. We always so appreciate having him around and guesting on our show. I swear to God, Brad, I'm going to make it down to Tempe one of these days. Like, I like I really promise it just, like, you try getting out of Halloween weekend with a baby, you can finally dress up in a costume for the first time after COVID, and you tell your wife you want to go to Tempe instead. Like, I... I <laughs> Wish that wasn't the case this year. Um, pretty big day last Friday for Pat Chun and his staff announcing $3.5 million worth of gifts that got the indoor practice facility over the finish line um, for them having raised enough money to pay for it. You may remember the school, or athletics rather, was needing to raise the money privately because the school was basically out of bonding ability. Um, and didn't have any more money available to bond out to pay for athletics facilities because they owe about, I think the ballpark's $140 million bucks on the suites and football operation building. So, yeah, they're all tapped out when it comes to uh, paying for stuff like that. Um, the timing is certainly significant. Um, Obviously, each family that donated money, including the Algers, I think, um, you know, they they you don't just decide in a week that you're gonna fork over two commas worth of cash, um, but you also certainly might have said earlier in the year, hey, maybe we don't give it until that one thing happens, right, and. It's significant to announce it the week of Rolovich's dismissal for Pat Chun. Moving past that, I think the big... I mean, look, we we all know the benefits and for Washington State, I think. And this is not just the football team using this. We're talking about the indoor, you know, indoor track and field. We're talking about, uh, I mean, heck, golf's getting their own facility built, um, a smaller facility, but they could use it even. You could have baseball could train in there, although they have their own, it's kind of nice to say they all have their own, nice, their own facilities now. Any team can use this. It will be primarily used for football, um, but Washington State was pretty much the last team you can think of that didn't have a facility like this. And I'm not just talking in the Power Five. I mean, plenty of G5 teams don't have it, but there are also plenty that do have an indoor facility that is not um, the air-supported structure. And would you like to do the acronym for that? Because you can just say it. I'm not going to because we still like to run a clean show around here. And I have to click a little button that says it's clean, and I'm pretty sure they consider the word I would say that's the acronym for air-supported structure would be labeled explicit, even though it's the name of an animal. <laughs> you can't see me, but I'm smiling. That's not good to do on an audio medium. Um, but it's transformational from the standpoint that Washington's... I mean, this was kind of the last piece of the puzzle for the football team, right? I mean, like... You know, the football operations building is gorgeous. And I think Martin Stadium has, and you know, personal biases and whatnot. I think Martin Stadium has its own charms. But really, anytime you're showing a recruit somewhere, they're going to need to practice indoors. Because let's face it, guys, spring practice, it ain't warm in Pullman. Any other time they want to do anything indoors, um, the current setup is not good. 
the inside of that thing, I mean, A, it's AstroTurf. They might have replaced it with Field Turf years ago, but still, it's not the best surface in the world. The lighting in there is horrible. Um, so it's it's just it's not the best facility in the world. And having a nice, big, permanent structure um, that follows the design aesthetic of the Washington State University campus is transformational for this football team because you can recruit better and you have a better place to take your players for practices. You have just everything that comes along with an indoor facility like that. I mean, these guys are more comfortable. Um, they're, you know, they can, heck, you can practice punts better. You can practice field goals better. You can practice practically anything in a facility like that better than what they have right now. And there's also the good part that it won't fall under the weight of snow. I don't think the one they currently have ever did. Um, but, you know, there was always that possibility. We all saw the footage of the Metro Dome that one time. So it's a big gift. I think the folks who donated, we owe them some thanks because it is not easy to part with that kind of money, no matter what kind of tax write off you're getting. Um, so. I, I, this, and I know for Pat Chun and his staff, and I mean, not just for Pat Chun, but for Bill Moose's staff, this was something they, this is, this is something the school has been working towards for a very, very, very long time. Because when I bring up Bill Moose and his staff, I mean, it's not just the, you know, three years it's been since Pat Chun came to campus. Bill Moose was working towards this for years and years during the latter part of his tenure, trying to get money raised for this facility. That is how long we're talking that this has taken. And to finally get it over the finish line, it kind of feels like you've reached that, uh, like a really big moment for Washington State Athletics in that they can kind of join the 21st century in a way with a facility like this. The other thing it does is it leaves open the book for my favorite thing of what's next. The speculation of where do you go from here? Where do we spend money now? Um, I think we all know Beasley Coliseum could use a facelift. I think a reduction in capacity wouldn't hurt because 11,500 is way too much for an indoor arena in Pullman. It's just way too much. A basketball facility of some kind would be great. They are upgrading the PEB, the downstairs portion of the PEB. That is just, an, by the way, you know, you guys know the one I'm talking about, the one be- between the little teeny tiny Smith gym and Bowler. It is an ugly building it's got no alibi it's that ugly oh my goodness it's ugly so they're putting in student support you know student athlete support center at the bottom of it which is great that gets you some touch up because i i don't know how kyle smith recruits with the gyms in that building but i mean more kudos to him and his staff for doing it um but that's where you kind of start to dream next a little bit the cost obviously depending on what you want to do with Beasley Coliseum, varies wildly from, you know, renovations to just building a brand new building altogether. I think Pat Chun intimated, you know, something kind of like that to Coog fan earlier this month or late last month where it's kind of like, yeah, you know, we're kicking the idea around. Nothing's really for sure yet. And that's probably where you should be planning stage-wise on this. You should be seven to ten years away on it. Um, but in the meantime, Beasley Coliseum could use a coat of paint or two. <laughs> um, it's a big deal to have the money ready to go. There's still no timeline for getting the IPF built. Um, but it's a really big deal to have finally kind of crossed this watershed 
a little bit and be able to say we can now go and do it because we were kind of that last power five team really without one um and to now be on a much more even footing facilities wise with your conference rivals um it's gotta help whoever the next head football coach is um at washington state university so a lot of credit to all the families that were able to get us across the finish line they deserve it um and i frankly can't wait to see the new place can't wait to see the new digs fight song next ask michael anything but first the dunderhead of the week coming up Thunderhead of the Week time. Uh, it's, it's been lovely to be able to go to Climate Pledge Arena twice uh, since um, it opened last week. Got to go to the uh, home opener against the Canucks and got to take my dad on Tuesday to see them play the Canadiens. That was kind of cool, by the way. My dad took me to so many sporting events as a kid and I got to take it to one. That's kind of a cool you know, like circle of life moment there a little bit. Um, but what the, the Dunderhead of the week, and I guess it could go to me because I partook in this, um, but many others did too. Uh, the arena, of course, was privately funded, um, but it ended up costing like $300 million more to renovate than the company was expecting, you know, COVID delays and whatever else. I mean, some, you know, supply chain with COVID and costs were just wildly out of control. So some of that's out of their, you know, out of their hands. But, um, I think it's kind of evident where they're trying to make up some of the money because beers are $16. Look, I'm not kidding. They're a dollar an ounce. 14 for domestic. And I, I, look, man, nothing wrong with the Coors Banquet in my book, but $14 for a Coors. $16 for Silver City. On the game on Tuesday, I mean, I'd gone on Saturday knowing how expensive these beers were and still brought two rounds because, you know, it's a date night. It's a home opener. How often is this going to happen? And I said, okay, I'll, you know, I'll just get the one in the middle of the first period and just kind of milk it a little bit, nurse it until the third period. No shame in my game there. I'm driving home. And I got the Kraken Bubble Stash, not the Bubble Stash, the Kraken Stash IPA that Hot Valley made. It was very delicious, um, but that was $18. <laughs> Can was 19 ounces, so they charged an extra two bucks. Oh boy! And the, the food's not cheap either. I mean, like, look, a slice of cheese pizza from Ballard Pizza Company, and the, we have the Mount Baker Club tickets, which I really like. Um, but the slice of cheese pizza's ten bucks. <laughs> Just, uh, so, Dunderhead of the Week, it's a beautiful facility. Go to a game as soon as you can. If you ever went to Key Arena, you're going to be blown away by how gorgeous it is. 
Um, but the Dunderhead of the Week goes out to the Climate Pledge Arena uh, concession prices. I would definitely go to the bar, have a few beers, and eat your food before you go over, because you're going to want to make sure you've done that. Ask Michael anything, Todd. Ask Michael anything, time. I paid it willingly. Uh, always try to not look at these at Max Like Sports One. Max Like Sports favorite past Halloween costume you've worn. Hi again, Mark. Oh man. Uh, one year, uh, my roommate and I in college went as Idaho football coaches. Went to like Goodwill and they had like some Idaho football vests. As we did that. Senior year, I went as Paul Wolf and my girlfriend, uh, my now wife, then girlfriend said nobody's gonna know who you are but I was I was you know not a skinny guy uh, and uh, I kind of I don't know how I like perfected the look but I like walked out in like a you know like a Washington State um, uh, cougar head hat a polo and khakis and like literally walking out of the apartment on the sidewalk a guy I did not know just pointed at me and goes oh it's Paul Wolf that worked out really well I I, I, I look a little bit like him when I wear you know, polos like that. At CCOOG8606, Sean of the Dead, what is your favorite conspiracy theory of the last 50-ish years and why? That Courtney Love had something directly to do with Kurt Cobain's death because I, I like it's like my one conspiracy theory that I cling to because the evidence so strongly points to Kurt Cobain not having been responsible for taking his own life. Like, that's... I... It that I, I will take that to my grave is that I, I think that Courtney Love had something to do with it. Absolutely had something, like directly something to do with it. At Beatty underscore Matt, Matt Beatty. Who's your favorite Kraken player? Ooh, Brandon Tanev, definitely. Not not only because he's the leading goal scorer and because, you know, like the crazy hair and his nickname Turbo, I think too. And he's like, his four checking's really good. He's always looks ready, but like, he's like a bash brother. I think the reason I like him most is because he's that hockey player who has the jersey up over the padded shorts. So, like, the padded shorts are, like, way out in the back, kind of like an airplane tail a little bit when he's going up and down the ice. I, I, if I played hockey, I think I would do that. Like, I, I think I would do that. Uh, at Sports with Neil, Sports with Neil and Friends, how pumped are you for the Storm's opener at CPA? I'm pretty excited. I'd like to go to that. I've never been, like much of it like i like to follow the storm in the playoffs i've only got so much room in my brain anymore for watching sports um so that would be but i'm excited yeah i'm excited to go to a few of the games there and also because it's gonna be a little bit of a cheaper ticket so if, like and again that's that's one thing if you guys don't want to pay the hockey prices we got lucky because we got season tickets if you don't want to pay the hockey prices storm games are going to be a great value for your dollar because they are very good and i think sue bird was thinking about coming back for another year fingers crossed at BDenny29, Brett Denny, our podcast guest, you you get the Infinity Gauntlet, but its power only pertains to the Pac-12. What are you doing with your snap? Oh, man. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, probably adding Kansas... And I know Oklahoma's going to the SEC, but I would add Oklahoma. Or I'd move the conference headquarters to Las Vegas, because that's where it really should be. 
That's what I would do. Ooh, and direct flights just for me from Seattle to Vegas to watch Kooks play in the conference tournament. I'd do that too. At Jedi ASU, Jedi AS Boo. <laughs> Map each Pac-12 coach to candy, Halloween or not, and why is N- Rolo a Neko? <laughs> um, Jimmy Lakes, I, I I can only do like a few, but Jimmy Lakes definitely... It's gonna be like an almond joy, right? Like almonds, great. Joy, great. Coconut, wonderful. You bite into it, piece of crap. That's that's what it's got to be, right? At Chris McKinterf, Chris McKinterf, why do MLB managers ignore my continued shouting against the shift? Dude, I don't know, but they're ignoring me, too. Like, I hate it. I hate what baseball's become, man. And I I used to love baseball so much. I can't even be bothered to watch World Series right now. I just, I can't be bothered. I hate the Astros, too. That's probably not helping. At Pretty Fair Beer, Pretty Fair Beer, how should one split an appetizer for the table? Evenly... Okay, evenly, but also I th- you should be able to chirp up and say if you don't want an appetizer, somebody's trying to order for the table. Like I'm not, I'm not eating an appetizer I don't want. Okay, if you had to become oh at two five three cook underscore two five three cook, if you had to become an inanimate object for a year, what object would you choose and why? Wow. Uh Oh my God. What would I be? I want to say like an airplane because I can go see a lot of cool stuff. Does that make sense? I'd want to do that, wouldn't I? Oh, no, I got it. I'd want to be a teddy bear. So I'd go snuggles all year. And I could stay in warm beds. That's what I would want to do. Yeah. Just snuggles, warm beds. I get to lay on a pillow all day. Oh, yeah. I could definitely do that. But airplane would be really cool. I could go to, like, Mallorca or something. See everybody sunbathing on the beach. All the beautiful people. Way more beautiful than me. At Sean P. Clemens. Sean Clemens. If you could officiate one American pro sport or league, which would it be and why? Well, I officiated soccer as a kid. Um, I would say that. Um, because it's just, like, that's the one I'd be most familiar with. Um, and I also kind of feel like... Uh, I mean, I don't know. The player, the players really come up to the referee a lot, and that they are yelling at him, and you just don't care. You just don't care. You just like wave them up, and be like, "Whatever, guys. Have a have a really great afternoon." I don't care. I'd probably go with MLS. Less scrutiny too on that, just as the nature of those, you know, fan bases aren't quite as big. At WSU Brady twenty seven, go Cougs. What is a random generational divide thing that you've noticed? For example, at my office, two spaces versus one space to start a new sentence is a clear line of when people went to school. Um, definitely email versus phone call. I noticed this more in my previous job where you had people who insisted on phone calls for everything as opposed to this could have been an email. You did not need to call me about this and waste 10 to 15 minutes of my time. Email me, please. Calls versus emails. That's definitely a humongous generational thing. Um, Arizona State, 35, Washington State, 24. I just don't think they quite have the firepower uh, to do it this weekend. Big show next week. Even though the team is on a bye, we will not be on a bye. We have a great, great guest lined up for you. It'll be a spectacular show. We will talk to you next week on the Kook Center Hour.